Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And today I'll be talking with Christian Serena about his book, together with Dominique Hauderovich, Age Inclusive Public Space. And let me say a couple of words about this book before I turn directly to Christian. The book is beautiful. It's incredibly, I, I don't know the right word. It's beautifully typeset. It's it's wonderfully designed. It has a, a really terrific number of illustrations and photographs in it. And it's just a beautiful physical object, which I think you might expect from people that do this kind of work. But I deal with a lot of books, and this one is extraordinarily attractive. So that recommends it, and I encourage you to go out and buy it. So uh, let me turn to Christian. Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Absolutely my pleasure. Could you begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, together with uh, my partner, Dominique, I have a small architectural office in Copenhagen, Denmark. And um, we uh, started uh, actually started our office just one day after we graduated from the Royal Danish Academy of Fine Arts in 2013. And we have been drawing ever since then. Um, and um, in our studio, we are especially interested in the social potentials of architecture, I would say. And uh, uh, we have a particular interest in the public space. So that's how this entire subject came came um, in our mind from the very beginning. By doing, yes, I, yeah. I, I was going to say, sorry to interrupt. I was going to say, I, I would like you to talk a little bit, if you can, about the origin of the book itself, and even more generally, the idea that, uh, what is the right word for this? People of a certain age, as we say in English, uh, that that architects and landscape architects and designers should accommodate those people. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, first of all, I, I, can, I can begin by saying that for us, it, in our work, because we are I would like to emphasize that we are practicing architects. That means that our primary language is is the drawing that the contractors make into buildings and landscapes. And very early on, it became clear for us that it doesn't really make any sense to to uh, divide this profession into a building profession and landscape profession because we saw that the for us the physical world was just one cohesive whole and. Um, we saw that this division was actually leading to uh, um, uh, uh, yeah. So what I, I can say that um, um, that when we um, when we are in our work day to day work as uh, yeah. Sorry, I, I just uh, missed the question. Sorry about it. Uh, no, that. Can That's you, okay. Why don't we start over? That's fine. Yeah. It's no problem at all. This happens all the time um, because you are answering these questions on the fly. So I certainly understand yeah. that. So let me ask the question again. 
Uh, Christiane, I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about the origins of the book and more generally the idea of age-inclusive architecture. Yeah, so the subject of age inclusion um, in our in our office originated from an, uh, the observation that the life that we could uh, see out of our windows, the modern metropolitan life, and especially here in uh, Denmark and in Scandinavia, where we have this expansive uh, welfare state, that it in many cases relies on a physical and institutional also um, arrangement, which is very much age-graded. So different age groups, they simply live apart. And we saw that this had in tremendous consequences for how uh, for the quality of life of people. We saw we could read about these problems in the newspaper of uh, lonely old people sitting alone. Um, we could uh, read about physical and mental um, health problems in our society. And at the same time, we could also see that right now there's a uh, massive demographic change going on. So it basically means that we have made a society that cannot deal with <laughs> the integration of age, mm-hmm. uh, age groups, but we... <laughs> But uh, we we keep on um, being older and older. So um, that was a, a frustrating um, landscape to look at from our perspective. So that's why we it was actually basically our own frustration that started this this topic from the very beginning. Actually, this wasn't a question that I prepared, but it, it, you've sort of led me to ask it. It, it really is kind of I don't know if it's a recent thing, but historically in the long term, it is kind of a recent thing that older people and middle-aged and younger people live apart. Yeah. Because that's true here in the United States as well, for the most part, and especially in urban areas, because essentially, uh, especially retirees, they will either move to another state where there are a lot of other retirees, or they will go to uh, a retirement home or something like that. Yeah. Is it the same way in in Denmark? Yeah. Yeah, sure. It's the same way. And it's, it's probably more... Um, fine-tuned here because as I say, when we have this uh, entire very fine-missed system of uh, welfare care, which is a good thing of course, uh, in my opinion at least but mm-hmm. but this also I mean, this this entire systematization relies on an uh, age graded uh, um, the system is basically using uh, age as a tool to divide to to give people the care that they need as an institutional bureaucratic tool you can say it eases the bureaucratic machine when it comes to providing care for people so it's very easy for society to say that everyone aged 65 and above they uh they can have a, a, a flat in a nursing home and so on and so on um and this this entire spatial way this has been um uh, put into reality it the, the way it has uh, uh, sh- the spatial shape shaping of this idea of this system is very much and uh, much an age segregated way so I, I, it's very interesting because i know that in my own experiences in um retirement homes i don't think there's any thought at all to public spaces that would include uh, younger people and people of middle age they are if there's any thought at all to public spaces yes definitely because I, you know they have over prioritized the you could say the 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 considerations towards 
comfort towards uh, having a light and warm and access to health services and under-prioritized consideration towards all the other aspects of life which gives quality to life, the social aspects, possibilities to enter inter into uh, intergenerational relationships, to experience uh, spontaneous social encounters, uh, and in and these kind of things are very much something that happens in the public space. Uh, so when you remove people from access to the public space, which is definitely the the what you do when you are uh, creating nursing homes in the way that usually have been done in modernist planning, um, you're actually saying refraining people from experiencing these things that make their life worth living. Um, yeah. I- I would say it's probably even worse in the United States than it's, I don't know, worse, that's a strong word, but it's probably, the problem is more severe in the United States because everybody has a house in the United States as opposed to the European pattern where people live in large buildings. Um, Americans generally don't do that unless they live in New York or Chicago or something like that. So obvious, so that many times these nursing homes are miles away or kilometers away from any public space at all yeah 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 that's i mean the 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 most extreme uh, version of the functionalist city uh, the uh, american sprawl i would yeah uh, say yeah and that has some consequences for this yeah i can imagine it does so um when you're thinking about designing uh an age-inclusive public space Base, oh, what do you have to think about that you wouldn't ordinarily think about if you were designing a playground? And I should say, or a playground is on my mind because I have children. So I always look for a swing set. That's, that's, <laughs> the, most, that's the most important thing for me, a swing set. But yeah, yeah. what kind of things do you think about? Um, when you're designing the uh, age-inclusive public space. Yeah. Yes, so, right. Yeah. I think the, the, the first thing before talking about what is what is the design uh, uh, what does the design do you have to step a little back and maybe ask yourself the question what is it to grow old uh, because that has some tremendous consequence for how you actually designing and a lot of spaces also a lot of spaces designed for the elderly for instance this is because this is of course something that is uh, that is uh, moving right now because of uh, the demographic change. A lot of politicians, mm-hmm. a lot of architects are just uh, trying to to do something for the elderly. But what you actually need to to uh, to ask yourself, in our opinion, is who are these elderly? Uh, because it's it very easily becomes a stigmatizing uh, answer. And what we are saying is that no, it's not. We want to abandon the idea that. Uh, of the old person as some kind of fixed persona, they are like they are like that, and they they want this and they want that. This is the kind of thinking that we we actually want to abandon, and we want to start thinking about the elderly in terms of life changing, like people who are experiencing life changes, and these changes can occur in very many different ways, and some of them are leading to a loss of function, a loss of competence which is what is uh, most typically what is associated with the, uh, with the, the aging process, but also we want to empathize. It can lead to a gain in knowledge, a gain in experience, a gain in competence. Uh, 
And what is maybe most important is when, when you talk about the, when you're talking about the aging process is that this is not something that that occurs linearly. This can it's a complex process where things competence vary. They you get better, then you suddenly get worse, then you get better at something else. And this aging process is not something that occurs at once or. Uh, doesn't affect your body and mind at the same time. Um, so what we really want to uh, put forward as the foundation for designing age-inclusive public spaces is a renewed sensibility towards the aging process. Um, so when you are thinking about aging in terms of changing life conditions, you also begin to, to, to ask different questions when you're designing and when you're sitting at your drafting table. Mm-hmm. Or going to a planning meetings, yeah. I mean, you have to know your audience, obviously. I, and it's interesting you mentioned this because I'm 58, and I was always very athletic throughout my life, I, and I still am. I just do different things. So I don't go on long runs anymore, but I go on really long walks, for example. I still have yeah. to do it. I really like doing it. That kind of thing. I don't. I still consider it athletic. It's just a different kind of yeah. athleticism. I think I would call it. So I really like tracks. I like to walk around tracks. So, I don't yeah. <laughs> but I also, you know, and I have another friend who's older than I am, and and in his retirement, he took up bicycling, like serious bicycling, not, not, not. not I think his bike costs more than my car. Yeah, <laughs> one of these guys. I know, I know yeah. what you mean. <laughs> yeah, right. And he's just like really into it, and he does these things. Um, so. I'd be interested to know what you found in your research about the kinds of activities that elderly people gravitate toward that might be accommodated in an inclusive public space. Yeah, so I think the most important thing, just to also uh, um, keep spinning on on what I said before, is, is that it's the public space needs to be spacious enough to allow for this kind of change to allow for one person to do different things at one day and then change his or her behavior and do something uh, different the next day so this is how people can be uh, can experience a continuous attachment to to places even though their personal competence change or as you say you begin to do something differently uh, than you did before so as kind of uh, environmental subtleness towards the um, the changes in life that's I, w- I will not say that there are certain activities that are elderly friendly mm-hmm. because that would again be to stigmatize the elderly say they like to sit and watch the children and be quiet that's a typical age related stigma and this kind of ageism is actually causing a lot of harm uh, to a, a great to great many people so I would say that it's more about creating this atmosphere where you can um, where you can uh, change within. So there are different ways of doing this, also very concrete ways of doing this. And this this is. I'm going to ask you about that. Yeah, like what what are the kind of steps that can be taken in order to do those things? Yeah, one thing, and I need to just introduce a couple of uh, concepts before I can <laughs> explain Please, it. Please, go and, ahead. Please. And that's yeah. because when you're looking at the city, you, we could say that some spaces are act 
age neutral. It doesn't matter who who you are, how old you are, you can still experience these uh, places. That would be places that have some kind of uh, uh, atmospheric quality to them, for instance, uh, like a, a usual park. It can be entered by anyone, and anyone can uh, can benefit from it. Then you have a, 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 some spaces, places in the city that are age specific, like a playground. Playground, for instance, you mm-hmm. you would you would instantly know that a playground is a space for for children because of the colors, because of the materials used, because of the the tiny scale of the playground house, and so on and so forth. So this is a space that's this kind of a reservoir for children only, or and their parents. And um, these kind of age specific spaces have been have become more common in the way this our cities are planned to this day we see a tendency that moves from age neutral spaces to age specific spaces so we also have in our book some examples where where space that's like a a, a totally open surface where anything can happen and lots of different people are invited suddenly gets like parceled into a lot of different age specific spaces a playground for the small toddlers and a, a cage for playing ball for the youngsters and some benches for the elderly and so on so this is it becomes very stiff the city and it becomes very uh, regulated who is to enter where and this regulation relies on age categories so what we are saying is that one way to deal with this, one way to break this up and try to integrate different age groups is to, one way is to organize it, dif- these age-specific elements like the swing you talked about uh, in the beginning of the slide, uh, to organize it in a way that brings it into a relationship with some elements that speak to different ages, right? Um, mm-hmm. Uh, you can also try to work with the spatial boundaries to make one space kind of uh, integrate or slide into the other one and create this like <clears throat> soft uh, spatial maneuvers that makes the playground kind of morph into uh, uh, into the rest of the park, for instance. That would make make give an expression of an age inclusive environment even though the elements within that environment is still caters still caters to specific age groups but what we also yeah, we want to say that there's a different way yes yeah, sir i was gonna, I'm, um, I'm sorry i was gonna say about um the swing set and such and i mentioned that because in the parks where i live i live in a sort of small town in western massachusetts uh the the stuff that's for kids is all segregated. It's all in one place. It's in one corner of the park. Like that's where the parents go with their kids. The other parts of the park are, are entirely for different purposes. So they didn't give any consideration to, to including there are no, there are no benches by, you know, by the swing set. So you stand there and watch your kids. So I, I I know just (laughs) I know just exactly what you're talking about. Having done this many times in my life, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, that's that's a perfect example of an age-specific uh, space, and that's what we see everywhere in every city in the world, uh, around the world. Uh, this kind of planning, because I guess it's very easy, and it's a, it's a, it's it's like a, a board game where you can place a 
space to the children and one to the uh, little older and so on and so forth. But what we want to say is that there are also design ways of designing that completely disregards that or refuses that some spaces speak to certain age groups. And uh, these uh, are f- one way is to draw something or to design something in a polyvalent way, we call it. And mm-hmm. po- polyvalence is about uh, when we enter a space, uh, or we instantly look for ways to make use of uh, the environment of the geometries that we are seeing, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, this is also something that children are especially good at. So we are looking for clues in our environment that if we want to sit, we are looking for places where we can sit. But usually we're just presented with a chair and that that is a generic object that we know, okay, we can go and sit on that. But we can we can use this ability of uh, the human race to read uh, form for use in a different way. And we can do it so we can make form polyvalent. That means that this is, this, it is not functional specific. It is open for interpretation. That means that there are all kinds of different people will read this form, each one of them differently. So that means that one single space if it is made in a polyvalent way, can permit uh, different interpretations. So one, the, the, the child will read it as a public playground, maybe, and run about and jump off its uh, sides. Another one will read it as a sculpture landmark, maybe, or a place to sit or a place to rest or a place to play or whatever. So this is a way of kind of giving a little loose, making the city more open to different uh, interpretations instead of just trying to, when you're designing, trying to fix everything into a very narrow functional um, uh, recipe, right? Yeah, I I have an interesting example of that in a local park. And it's kind of puzzling what they did. Um, It is downtown in my small town. And I would call it a kind of overgrown rock garden. Yeah. These are enormous, smooth boulders. Yeah. And, and you're not quite sure what you're supposed to do with it. Like I go there and I sit on the boulders or I walk around them. My kids just just climb all over them. But it's not entirely clear what they're there for. And if someone were an artist, they might say, oh, that's a rock garden. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a perfect so, example of, of polyvalent landscape, yeah. Yeah. Also, another thing is uh, we have a skate park near us, which is quite segregated from everything else. But I do take my kids there. But there are different sorts of levels and things there that I kind of like to crawl around and walk on. Now, the kids are skating, but I'm crawling around and walking on them. I mean, it's clearly a skate park. But for me, it's an entirely different thing. Yeah. 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 It speaks to this very primitive nature of man that if something something is high you want to climb it and if something is long you want to walk on it and so yeah yeah what well, one thing i've also noticed in another park that i used to take my kids to is there was a kind of there was a pool it was a shallow pool and it was kind of a wading pool at least that's the way i thought of it 
my kids thought it was a swimming pool because <laughs> they, they would just, you know, it's only about two feet deep, so no one was going to drown. But it wasn't quite clear what it was for. Uh, but it was very cool. I remember that very well. And yeah, it was it was a very open design in a sense, as you didn't really know what you were supposed to use it for, but it was there. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and things can also be be uh, because when you're this uh, concept of polyvalence is still about how to use uh, uh, form or to use spaces, but you could also work with space in a way that refuses this functional functional uh, uh, emphasis. You can. This is why we bring out the atmosphere as a concept in in the book, mm. um, because this is something that maybe it, it's still there in the cities, but it it has uh, been a little under underprioritized, uh, I would say, because atmosphere is this sensoric experience that you can have. This can come from trees or flowers or water, as you mentioned, mm. uh, but it's something that every age, every Every person, no matter capacity or background or socioeconomic status or whatever, can still experience. It's something that is experienced as a, as a common thing in the public spaces. I think it's a great many opportunities in, in, in this Yeah, area. just to, to, to give another example of, of another park that I've been to with my kids, which I think is... Uh, is at least evocative or seems to be kind of what you're saying about is that there was a kind of pyramid of blocks that went up probably 10 feet and they were arranged. I mean, again, it looked like something out of ancient Egypt, kind of, but it wasn't that tall. But for me, it was interesting because I am I could climb up, but it wasn't too much. Now, my kids were just all over it, like you couldn't believe it. And this these blocks were strewn not only in this pyramid, but all over the place. There were no benches in the park. <laughs> so, so clearly you were, the designers were telling us to climb on them or sit on them or yeah. warm ourselves on them or something, but it wasn't clear. Like a park bench is like you're supposed to sit on the park bench, right? Yeah, That's, exactly. it. That's what you do on a park bench. But these weren't like that at all. They were much more, uh, they were much more inclusive in that sense that they invited you to kind of experiment with them and things that you might do. Yeah, and the, the great thing is that the seating opportunity persists. And what it does is yeah, that yeah. if you just had some park benches, you could sit on those benches, but what would you look at? What, what, what kind of life would be there? Probably a very dull life without anything happening. But right in, when you have these pyramids, you have children climbing all over them. So at the your bench is also a, a, a theater to look at with a lot of activity going on. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. Is, why would you need a bench if there's nothing to be there for? That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's quite true. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. usually there isn't anything to do. And often, at least in the United States, the park benches are boundaries and they're, they kind of keep you out of the park. Now, of course, in the United States, there are actual fences, <laughs> which I don't <laughs> think you would probably think are a good idea, but there are, chain link fences around some of these things. I, I'd like to talk a little bit about materials. And you mentioned water. Another one of uh, to, to draw from my own personal experiences, uh, oftentimes these parks, the older ones will have sandboxes. Do you know what I mean by a yeah, sandbox? Yeah, 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 right. But they'll be very small. I've always wanted to go to a park that had a that had a 
had a sandbox that was about 30 meters by 30 meters. <laughs> yeah, like a true landscape, yeah. Right, that would be fun. Can you talk a little bit about the materials and that kind of element that you put into these things? Yeah, I mean, uh, when you're, when you're, um, uh, the, when you're talking about uh, atmospheric experiences, of course, a sand, a, to, there's a great difference in making a sandbox as this kind of <laughs> very tiny little yeah, contained for kids. Uh, yeah. for, for kids, and then making something that has a, 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 an atmospheric value for any anyone who visits this space. Uh, and actually, there has been some like truly radical expressions of uh, of uh, playscapes early on in in the history of the playground and some of them are actually not only for kids they are made for all ages also uh, also some american actually um, and these are some of the rare examples of uh, like grand scale polyvalent atmospheric landscapes that are truly age inclusive um, so this aging inclusive agenda has actually been 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 uh, been uh, experimented with from the children's perspective more than from the elderly's perspective which is quite interesting yeah, yeah no i see just what you mean another element that i've seen in some i'm going to talk about water in a second but another thing that i've seen and this is very old uh are um topiary mazes do you know what that i mean by that these are mazes made of shrubs. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, those are very old. And yeah. I've only been to a couple of parks that have them, but they seem very inclusive to me. Yeah, I mean, they can be experienced in a great many different ways. Uh, at a distance also, they are different than when you are entering them. The, so, yeah. Um, well, I was going to say one thing. They're, they're a lot. I think they're a lot more fun for kids because they tend to be about yeah, three feet high. Yeah, sure, <laughs> I'm I'm very tall, so they're not quite as much fun for me. But um, yeah, that's probably a consideration. And then I suspect also that if you're going to use uh, trees and shrubs for this kind of thing, there's an expense issue, unlike rocks or water. Correct? Oh, that depends where you are in the world. Uh, yeah, here it would be. Uh, yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know that here they have to be tended and things like this. Mm -hmm. and, you know, one of the things that they do here, and which I quite like, if you go to a kind of English garden, which we have some of, mm -hmm. these are just trees and, and a kind of greensward, is when the trees lose their leaves, they leave the leaves. Yeah. Yeah. So you can play in them. <laughs> which yeah, I still like to do, even though I'm old. <laughs> that's a, that's a, another example. Uh, an example we also have in the book is when it snows. Uh, you, this is a rare opportunity in the city because all these yeah. borders you have between sidewalks and parking lots and uh, car lanes, they suddenly diminish. And what you see is just one cohesive landscape of uh, white snow which can also be experienced from a great many different angles. Uh, uh, so children would throw snowballs and run around where other people would just, would just ex experience this, this uh, also social phenomenon of being in the snow together. So this is a great uh, yeah. example also, like, like the leaves. And actually the English gardens are kind of polyvalent uh, <laughs> lands, uh, playful landscapes, in, uh, I would say. 
Right? Yeah, they're lovely. I, they're, cool. they're lovely, and we have a we have a great one here in Northampton where I live, which is very well tended, private, and it's it's very beautiful, and it has a little rivulet in it, a little stream, and it has a pond, and it's very open. There are no borders, and the trees are lovely. They're lovely deciduous trees, and it's very well tended. And as I say, they put the le- sometimes they leave the leaves on the ground, and then they'll put them in big piles. So yeah. you can play with them in the pile. But I'll tell you, here's an interesting thing. And you might want to include this in uh, your next edition. I don't know if it's in this one. But I'll tell you something accidental that happened here is that there was a large parking lot that adjoined a playground. And it wasn't exactly a playground. It's more of a park, a small park. And they sent the uh, snow clearing machines to remove the snow from the parking lot and it created a snow mountain. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And this thing, this thing drew everybody. Everybody wanted to climb on the snow mountain. Uh, Kids were up there digging holes in it and throwing snowballs. And I was climbing on it. And it was just a really fun feature that just appeared out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a perfect example. We actually, uh, in our office once uh, convinced the, the, the the guys who who run these uh, snow snow plows to to strategically place their their snow piles in the in the city so that these kind of situations could occur. yeah that's exactly that's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about and yeah. it was really wonderful and then the next year they said that they couldn't do it anymore because of liability issues oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's a classic <laughs> yeah it is and also on the same thing at least they used to do this out here I don't know if they do it in Denmark but Something that used to happen that doesn't happen anymore is that they would take a park and they would make a, uh, they would put a ring around part of it and flood it and it would become an ice skating rink. Yeah, they do that. They, That's also a. a they do that in Denmark? Yeah, they do. Yeah. And in yeah, the they summertime, here. they can uh, splash around uh, in the water. Yeah. yeah, here they can't do it anymore again for liability issues. They, they used to be small skating rinks sort of pop-up skating rinks all over the place but i can't do it anymore yeah Uh, can you talk yeah it is a pity actually can you talk a little bit about the role of water in these things and how water can be used i mean water is a it's a landscape uh, feature that can be experienced in great many different ways Uh, again it can it is actually polyvalent right you can you can Mm -hmm. use it in in many different as a play tool as a but it's also a, an atmospheric uh, experience you can have. Uh, in the, so it has all, all of these qualities that we are talking about in the book. Yeah. So, Again, one of the things I've seen before is, uh, and this is actually at an amusement park, is they have these, they're essentially cylinders that you walk up to in the summer and they spray a, a big cloud of mist at yeah. you. <laughs> and, and you don't really quite know what to do with that, but it's sort of fun. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's, yeah, it's, those are, those are extraordinarily um, entertaining. Yeah. I, I think is, you, you, yeah. Go ahead. You no, know, this is something that, that, uh, I mean, we are also using this mist, misty, uh, uh, some, some mist installations in the book as examples of how, how the value of, of this social setting that the public space can offer that the being together even though we are 
a great many different people. So yeah, yeah. And another one. I hate to give so many examples, but your book got me thinking about some really well designed oh, ones. <laughs> one that was is in our community too. It's uh, it's at a public park, and it's what's called a water park, I think. And essentially, it's a large piece of concrete. It's circular. Mm. It's a big flat area, and there are these pylons that stick up out of it, and they sort of randomly spray water in different ways and at different intervals. So it's kind of a game to see which ones are going to go off when. Yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah, about yeah, at yeah, all? Yeah, yeah sure. I, yeah, I, yeah I it's really a, Germany, I think. And, yeah, and I can tell you that people of all ages go to this thing when it's really yeah. hot, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the kids, the kids can't drown because there's not enough water. I mean, it's a big piece of concrete, and it, it's just a lot of fun. And it is surrounded by benches as well. And it's a very popular thing around here because when it's a hundred degrees here Fahrenheit, uh, you really need to get cool. And so you can go to the water park and just hang out there. It's it's a lot of fun and much safer than a swimming pool. Yeah. So these, this is an example of a, uh, a place that maybe all people cannot uh, access or participate in directly, but, but if there, there's offered, uh, some distant opportunities to in, engage on a more in a more passive way or uh, uh, from a distance uh, this can also prove uh, intergenerational uh, uh, to be a, to be um, uh, have some value as an intergenerational uh, scene um, I, I can tell you that with with this water park in particular you can't <laughs> it's very hard to stand and watch people play in the water when it's hot yeah. Because you inevitably end up in the water. Yeah, that's it's true. <laughs> at least it's true of me. I I don't know how many times I've I've gone there with that. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, games because I know that having been in Europe a bunch of times, uh, and just particularly to in Italy, I think there are various lawn games. Yeah, I, think I would call them. <laughs> yeah, that are sprinkled. Or, you know what I'm talking about? Lawn bowling, I think it is. Yeah, the uh, different kinds of games. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, do you sprinkle games in your designs? Are games do they feature in your designs? Yeah, they can. I mean, uh, I cannot quite remember with, but of course, we are we are always uh, because we want to when we are drawing a, a project in our studio, we also want always want to think about how. How is there any playful opportunities here? Uh, how would uh, adults or children alike use this as a as a starting point for for place? So, and long play long games could could easily be one way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me a kind of natural thing, to, especially lawn bowling, because it's pretty it's inexpensive and doesn't take a lot of maintenance, and it's pretty easy to do. So that that would be the, we don't have anything like that here. But I would really enjoy that kind of thing if if it were if it were available. I guess I would say. Yeah. And and, and let me ask about this. Uh, it, it is age inclusive, and I don't want to stereotype elderly people. But oftentimes their movement is inhibited. They might be on crutches or in wheelchairs or something like that. What sort of steps do you take to accommodate those kinds of things in your designs? Yeah, of course. That's a that's a part of the aging process. That's some of these changes I talked about uh, early on. Uh, that is, of course, uh, that as uh, that's not uh, that's 
basically what happens when you are, have used your legs for a long time. They start yeah. to uh, hurt at one point and then you cannot walk as well. So this is uh, some considerations that sh- definitely should be be prioritized in a in any project that of course people should add with it also in wheelchairs or with, with crutches should be able to access uh, spaces uh, but what is important when you're talking about age inclusion is that this access must not be some kind of a special route or so you know there's a Oftentimes, you see a wheelchair ramps hidden yeah. in the no, back in the rear side of a building yeah. or something. So just walk in yeah. there and turn around, and you can go up your your handicap ramp. And you, that's not really an age inclusive uh, approach. So what we are uh, talking about here is that how to integrate it in the design so that so that it's a natural part of the physical environment. Is that of course any people, no matter how they move, should be able to access places. Yeah, that's right. And here, at least in some parks I've been in the United States, they've done a terrific job of this uh, by essentially replacing steep stairs with ramps of various sorts. But they're not, yeah. as you say, they are they are not for wheelchairs or anything. They're for everybody. Go yeah. up and down. Yeah, they're not they're not marked as you know if you have a wheelchair, go up this. Uh, they they are for everyone. So essentially, and you get. You get that nice aesthetic curvature as well. You know they're aesthetically pleasing because yeah, there are many opportunities. Kind of yeah, they're they're really yeah they're really very nice. So um, we've taken up a lot of your time. There are a couple more questions I have though, just to keep you for another second. If an urban planner or somebody was interested in talking to someone like you, is there a website they could go to, or is there a federation of people that do this, or how do you start? Just contact your local architect, or is there who who would somebody contact if they were interested in creating an age inclusive space for their community? Yeah, they could. Uh, I mean, you, they should contact you, of course. But of course, <laughs> but there are also other architects, uh, and uh, of course, one of the reasons this book we have uh, done here it has a lot of contributions from a great number of researchers from various disciplines. Uh, and what we have done is we have tried to to make their contributions very dense, but also to give space for them to point the reader towards uh, uh, other books or other practitioners. So I guess the book could be one way of getting an overview of who. There you who, go. Buy the book. That's how you do book, it. You uh, buy the book. Yeah, that's great. Start out by, yeah. by going to our webpage. You can do that. and and. Um, and that that is also a start. It's uh, studio ds.dk. Yeah, um, we'll certainly put it. We'll put yeah. a link to it on the blog write up that will accompany the interview, so everybody can go. We'll, we'll put a link to the book as well, so yeah. people. But frankly, this is something new for spatial practitioners. This is not something that has been like the primary focus of great a great many number of uh, architects. Many many people have done this. Uh, uh, has tried to make the the physical environment more accessible. That's the the only like aspect of the entire subject that has been thoroughly implemented in many countries. Like you said, you 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 know about these ramps and stuff. So yeah. this is this is uh, this is like one step of the of the of the task. But the other steps have not really been taken yet, and these are about yeah. Like, I, I... 
I, th I think, sorry yeah. to interrupt, I think that's a very important distinction and one that really wasn't in my mind before I saw the book. And that, the, that is the difference between accessibility and inclusiveness. They're, yeah, they're, they're different. Yeah, yeah they're, they're really quite different. So you should be able to produce a design that is both. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, because yeah. of course uh, accessibility is, is part of an inclusive environment. But yeah, you cannot exactly only right. have accessibility because of what does it mean to access a space if it doesn't mean anything to you, for instance? If it's a, yeah, not a part right. of your everyday routines, if it's not a place that you have a special a, a, attachment to or somewhere where you feel you belong. Of course, the spaces that, <laughs> that are part of our lives should have some kind of a meaning for us. And this, these aspects of belonging to uh, places of the public space are very important and doesn't really uh, are not uh, contained within the concept of accessibility. Uh, that's very well said, Christian. Very well said. So let me tell everybody that we've been talking to Christian Serena about his book, Age Inclusive Public Space. It's available now. Um, Christian, let me ask our traditional final question on new books in the New Books Network. Uh, what are you working on now? Do you have a next project? Yeah, I mean, as uh, because I'm a practicing architect, so I have a yeah, you always of, uh, have a next project. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, <laughs> so. What we're trying to do is to to further experiment with with these con spatial concepts and try to implement them in reality to build them and see what happens and learn from that. Uh, well, yeah. That, that's a lot. And I hope you get to do that. So uh, let me say to everyone, well, first, let me say to Christian, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And let me say to all the listeners, thank you for listening to the New Books Network, and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.